listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of thebarkboard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show host and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. And now, here's your hosts. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. I am Lucio Reek from TheBarkBoard.com. And, well, today, stepping in for my co-host is the publisher of TheBarkBoard.com, Mr. Jackson Moore. Jackson, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Lucio. How are you? Good, good. I mean, uh, you know what? It, it, right now, it pretty much it's it's pretty much been official. It's been almost a year since you've taken over as the publisher, and we have taken the barkboard dot uh, com by by the reins. And how does it feel to finally just get a whole year under our belts? And uh, and are you happy with the direction that the barkboard has gone? Oh, absolutely. I mean. Seeing from where it was several years ago when I, when I first started the first time around and uh, going through this new transition again, I feel like it, it's taken a real positive turn. We've had, uh, I mean, the numbers, of course, that kind of back that up as far as uh, subscribers and website hits. I mean, everything has been going up even when the team was playing about as bad as it has. And uh, now that there's a transition, uh, especially on the, the football side of things, of course, uh, with Tedford coming in, there's a little more excitement, and hopefully that gets more people interested in all the content we're putting out. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm ecstatic myself because even with a down year, uh, by the looks on the numbers, we were at least able to grow the website by, I think, if I remember correctly, by at least 30% of, um, of what we started before the year. And uh, I think we're headed in the right direction. We've got a lot of good content going for the bark board and um, we're going to continue to try to bring as much information as we can throughout the season and um, spring football that's uh, that's that's coming up Monday and so that's why we are here with this podcast is Jackson and I are going to be we're going to we're going to try to start gearing everyone up for uh, for spring football and of course we posed the question out there to some of you to to ask us some of the questions that you guys wanted to, to get answered uh, for spring football. And uh, I tell you what, Jackson, I think they delivered. They, they really gave us a number of questions that we can sit down and talk about. Um, so I guess why don't we just start diving right into it. And uh, one from our Facebook page, Jonah Allen. I mean, he, he wants to know about the offensive and de- defensive line play, um, which has been poor in the past few years. How can a new coaching staff change the direction uh, with not too many changes in personnel. Uh, so what do you think that they're going to be able to kind of do to kind of get things going in the right direction on the offensive and defensive line? Yeah, it looks like there may have been a couple questions on the line and D-line. Uh, people really want to know what's going to change there. And you know, regardless of scheme, you're going to have five offensive linemen out there. So it's tough to see how something can turn around so quickly in one year on the offensive side of the ball. I uh, will say that they obviously went out and picked up quite a few offensive linemen. Uh, class had about five, uh, I believe. And, I mean, that, that's a group that could potentially take a spot or two in that starting lineup. Uh, I mean, a guy like Dante Bull, who's – and both of the Canadian recruits, him and Mark David, I mean, those are two guys that are huge bodies and are going to be physically able to, to handle Division One football right away. But playing as a freshman is tough as an offensive lineman. Uh, they do have a junior college guy. They're still looking at uh, Pesa Tupu, uh, who wasn't qualified to sign on signing day. So they, they could bring him in, and that could be another body there. But aside from personnel, one thing that Coach Tedford said at the town hall meeting on Monday evening that kind of caught my attention was, uh, he said, according to him, the most important relationship on the staff was between your offensive coordinator and your offensive line coach. And uh, with Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator and O-line coach, respectively, uh, they've been together at multiple previous stops. They have a lot of history, and it sounded like it was a little bit of a package deal almost to get those two guys here. And their relationship, I think, was going to help this process go smoothly. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of turnover at both of those two positions the last couple of years, and even when... Things were going kind of steady post Derek Carr years. Uh, I don't think the relationship may have been there between the Norcross and the SRAM. No, so that's definitely. A, definitely a group that you look at and think that they can kind of turn it around. Body-wise, they may be a little limited in year one, but it, it should get better as they go on. 
Now, I I, and, I, I was looking at the uh, at this uh, these both offensive and defensive line. There's still a number of kids who are going to be coming in uh, before uh, before fall who are not going to be here for spring. Do you think a lot of those um, some of those players that are coming in even as offensive linemen and defensive linemen? Do you think they're going to stay at those positions? Maybe they're going to be switched to a different position to fill a need. What do you think about that? I think offensive line, the five guys that you look at, they're probably going to be offensive linemen just depending on whether they'll be a tackle or a guard or a center. I think they have most of that intact. But defensive line, which I know I hit heavy on offense on the answering the question originally, but defense is where you're going to see some movement, um, especially because – what they want to do defensively is have multiple schemes from what we've been told. And so you need kind of a three man front and a four man front and it's going to get a little complicated and they don't have a whole lot of bodies to make that happen. But the one thing you see in the recruiting class that they really hit hard was they got those edge rushers, those kind of outside linebacker defensive end hybrid kind of recruits that whether you're in a four or three, there'll be a defensive end or a three, four and an outside linebacker position. And they got quite a few of those guys that I think are going to make the defensive line versatile, at least. Uh, you may not have uh, one or two standout guys that are really going to create havoc, but I think the scheme has enough personnel where they can throw out different looks and different rush packages and, and cause some problems. Um, especially when you look at the defensive line, I think that's where you're more likely to see some instant impact kind of guys. Uh, TJ Mauga would be my favorite as a freshman. Uh, he's a big body i know we've only got him at 6'5 260 but it sounds like uh, he may come in closer to 300 and that would let him be an interior defensive lineman and uh you got a guy like elijah piper who played as a freshman last year those are two guys that can step in and cause some problems and then as far as the edge rushing position um you've got a mecca endo who was a local guy first of all went out to the barrier for junior college and he's going to be ready when he comes in the fall he wasn't a mid-year transfer and um, another three-star recruit who uh, I think is going to be able to play right away, too, is Richard Cage. He comes from uh, Roosevelt High School in Corona, where he was playing against top-level competition. And they're not expecting a huge transition time for him as a true freshman, even. Yeah, so it looks like uh, you know there's going to be some, some kind of turnover. There's going to be uh, – where, where, what we're going to see in the spring is definitely not where it's going to stay. I mean, things are going to change – dramatically once fall hits because a lot of these kids who are coming in in the fall are going to get an opportunity to possibly start and with with those kids coming in do you do you see any one of those actually kind of competing for a spot right away I mean uh, which which one of the, the incoming freshmen do you think actually has a legitimate shot at, at starting as far as freshmen go, uh, there's going to be spots in the two deep available. It is tough for a true freshman to come in and grab a starting spot, but it's not uncommon, especially we've even seen here the last couple of years for a true freshman to get in that two deep. And when you have a lot of turnover and, and uncertainties like you had the past couple of years and this year again, you'll see those guys kind of get rotated in a lot more than you would at an established program. So looking down the list, um, as I mentioned, Richard Cage and TJ Malga on the defensive front, I think those are guys that are going to have a shot to get some playing time. Uh, Daniel Moraga is another guy. He could be a, a tight end or a linebacker. I think there may be a spot for him somewhere. Um, Zane Pope was a guy that really got a lot of praise from Coach Tedford. They don't even know what they're going to do with him yet, whether he'd be a, a cornerback or a receiver. And Coach Tedford likened him to Keenan Allen when he had him at Cal, so I'm kind of – Hoping we see Pope play some receiver. Um, I think at cornerback, they brought in a lot of junior college players, but Wyland Free and Chris Coleman, I think one of those two guys will probably earn some snaps in the secondary, and maybe one gets redshirted and one gets the spot. Uh, the two running backs they bring in, there's kind of a logjam at running back right now. <laughs> yeah. the, I mean, the, the, there's a lot of bodies, and we don't really know who's going to be the guy, but they got in three running backs last year, and Justin Rice is going to be moved to safety, and the other two, Savion Johnson and Deontay Perry, were both hurt. So it's kind of hard to, to tell what they have there. But not to Ronnie mention, Rivers not and to mention Jordan Ho- Mims. Not to mention Hokit coming in, uh, being yeah. changed permanently to running back as well. So that, that, that kind of throws a wrench in everything too. Uh, right. So there's a lot of question marks there, but I think Jordan Mims and Ronnie Rivers, they're, just, they're both very talented. They both bring similar qualities to the position. 
And I think someday both of those guys are going to be a nice one-two punch, but I'd expect to see one of them at least in the rotation this year. Um, otherwise, I think there's a lot of junior college players on the list, not the true freshmen, but I think you look at all of those junior college players as having a shot at the two deep right away. Yeah, and uh, in in the running back, like you said, that's going to be the a very fluid position uh, for Fresno State because basically that that is probably one of the biggest question marks because there are so many players coming in as freshmen for r- the running back position that I believe that that position is probably going to be one of the most wide open positions on the team as far as trying to establish who the starter is going to be for for the Bulldogs. But there's another position that it seems to, year in and year out, uh, seems to be one of the hot topics. And I I think you know which one I'm heading to next. I mean, that's going to be the quarterback (laughs) position. I mean, everyone wants to know what's going on with the quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, there's been a couple of things that we just found out. I mean, with the surgery with um, uh, the quarterback position, uh, who was it that just had surgery? Was it... uh, uh, Chase and Virgil. It was Chase and Virgil that just had surgery, right? So, so Chase and Virgil just had surgery, and you know, me and you, we didn't really know about that at, at first. So that one kind of throws a wrench into things. What do you see happening at the quarterback position now that Chase and Virgil might not be in the running right away? Yeah, it all kind of depends on where he is in his rehab because Coach Tedford. I mean, he didn't really question it. He made it sound like Virgil was going to be limited at best for spring, but. Uh, in an interview with the, uh, Kalen DeBoer, the offensive coordinator in the B recently, he made it sound like Virgil was ready to roll. So we're not quite sure what to expect there. <laughs> Take it with um, a grain of salt. They're, they're not going to tip their hat right away. Yeah. And uh, you hope to see Virgil. Uh, you hope to see Virgil because, um, I mean, you want to see him and Reyna and kind of compare those two guys and see who's the better, of course. Um, because if you only get Reyna and not Virgil, then you're kind of questioning all summer long where how they compare to one another. Um, between those two guys, and then you add in uh, James Quentin Davis and uh, Christian Rossi, that'll be your four guys. But I think Reyna and Virgil are the ones you're going to be focused on. Yeah, so it's it's going to be kind of a kind of wait-and-see as uh, soon as, well, you'll you'll be able to kind of tell what's going on next week. Uh, as soon as you head out to spring practice, you'll you'll see Virgil out there and and kind of kind of get a better gauge as to where Virgil actually lands uh, as far as um, physicality wise after his surgery. So yeah, I think next week some of those questions will be answered. Um, but you know, a couple of other people I've looked on here. They wanted to know if the if you had any idea of any more incoming late signings or or walk ons uh, and or any other player that is thinking about leaving the program. Uh, is there any kind of news on that front as far as what's going on with Fresno State? Well, as far as players leaving, there were some names that popped up during the transition, and it sounds like for the most part, everything's going to be intact for the spring, but uh, it's kind of might depend with those guys how spring goes. If they're kind of leading as starters at their positions respectively, then maybe they stick around, and if things don't go well, they'll leave. We saw uh, last time we had a coaching transition, uh, Jalen Saunders was kind of in that same situation and he wasn't very happy with the the direction of the offense in the spring and and took off to Oklahoma so I think that'll be kind of a similar situation this spring Uh, hopefully it all works out for the current Bulldogs as far as players coming in uh, they signed another recruit this past week Alex Cruz a linebacker out of Concord he's 6'2 235 around there and that's going to use one of their last two scholarships so that would make you think that um as we discussed, Pesa Tupu is offensive lineman out of San Mateo College, and they had Nate Jones running back out of Fresno City. Those seem to be the two guys they were kind of waiting on to sign later on due to academics, and uh, you think one of those guys has been crossed off due to this latest signing. Uh, de- definitely. I mean, because uh, they've got one scholarship left, they're going to have to use that one wisely. I, you think they're going to wait until – uh, spring ball is all wrapped up before trying to go and fill that last vacancy as far as uh, picking up anybody else? Uh, definitely. I mean, that's the way DeRuder handled it, at least. He would kind of wait in the spring and see what their biggest need was at the time and then go attack that with the next couple months. Uh, if Pesatupu is still on board, I think he'd probably be the favorite for that last 
scholarship and they just kind of wrap things up as soon as he becomes qualified. But if not, uh, yeah, it just depends on what goes on in the spring where they want to use that last one. Now, um, you know, we talked about Virgil having surgery, but um, one of our fans wants to know if we know any more details about DeJounte O'Neal. What is his status? Uh, how far along is he at the moment, if you know anything about that? Yeah, I don't know much specifically about O'Neal or most of the injuries, really. We'll kind of have an idea when spring ball starts on Monday where if they're uh, limited at all or if they're kind of in the, the wounded player section where they're just working with the trainer. Um, I would think his injury was a little earlier on in the season, so his development would probably be farther along than uh, you would expect to be good for next season, but maybe not for this spring. And typically, if you have a guy that's rehabbing, they just kind of sit him out for the most part in spring anyway and not risk anything. You don't really want to put any players on the line at this time of the year. And uh, along with him, you've got a couple others in that running back group. Uh, I do know that Deontay Perry has come along very well. And it looks like he's pretty much healthy for the most part. Uh, Savion Johnson's one we're going to have to wait on for spring as well. Now, uh, you know, some of our fans are, are they want to know more about what happens at these practices. And they, they kind of want to know how much, uh, how much full speed contact will the team get on a weekly basis. Now, I think uh, p- because of NCAA rules, if I remember correctly, they are only allow, uh, allowed certain amount of contact during these practices. Am I correct or is, is that totally wrong? Well, the one thing I, I can confirm is they're limited as far as how many days or how many practices they can go with the full pads, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I know at least when you start spring and you start fall, you have to start off with just helmets and then you've got jerseys and shorts and then you can add the shoulder pads into the mix and go in full pads uh, after that. So it takes a few practices to get going. but And, and then you've kind of got some limitations during the week and, of course, you don't want to overextend any players of but doing a whole week of full speed contact and, and full pads. But uh, we don't really know what Coach Tedford's practices are going to look like till we get out there. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I know there was a question about Oklahoma drills. And, yeah. Um, that's something, again, the wait and see. But I know Pat Hill used to do that. Um, the Coach DeRuder staff, they started implementing that as kind of a, a kickstart when uh, things weren't going so hot the last couple of years. And I would imagine we see some of it, but maybe not regularly. Uh, and then, and then there's one of the our fans wants to know a little bit more about the um, the strength and conditioning program and the nutrition. Anything different? Anything new going on with this program as far as trying to get the the players up to speed uh, and health wise? Um, you know, with the with the strength and conditioning being changed around a little bit. Do you know any more details about what's going on there? Uh, well, I do know Andy Ward, uh, who has taken the job. Uh, he comes from Stanford as in their strength and conditioning program. And that was what I was told was the envy of the nation as far as strength and conditioning goes. So he comes from about as good of a background as you can ask for. I do know they've kind of changed up the schedule and the intensity. Uh, there was a lot of criticisms of the previous uh, strength and conditioning coach who was only here for a handful of months and a lot of complaints about the exact routine they were going through. So I think there's going to be a lot more time dedicated to um, rehabilitation as far as lifting one day and and taking some time to adjust from that. But uh, we don't, we're not able to go out there and see an exact workout to comment too much more about that. Yeah, because they were they wanted to know how the players were adjusting to the conditioning, and and that's just something that we're not privy to. Uh, we don't get we don't get a chance to go out there and kind of see what they're being done during strength and conditioning. So it's it's really not something that we can really comment too much about. And I I know some of the fans out there wonder a little bit about that, but that's that's just one of those those topics that really they they don't really give us too much access to. So. Uh, we'll just have to see what happens there. Um, now, one of the one of our our uh, listeners wanted to know any graduate transfers that may come in. Is there any graduate transfers that are might be on your radar that looks like might be picking up some steam to to come head over to Fresno State and 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 compete for a spot? You know, I don't have too many names exactly to to look out for, but. I do know when Coach Tedford first got the job, the, the phone was ringing as far as graduate tra- transfers. I mean, again, a, a program that uh, 
doesn't have a lot of established starters, there's going to be opportunities for those kind of guys to come in and play right away. And from my understanding, there should be plenty of scholarships to make that happen for those kind of guys. Uh, so we'll see after spring, they'll kind of identify what their need is and maybe add a couple of them, but uh, no one specifically at this point. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen anything run across uh, any kind of social media, and typically, uh, you know, some of that will, some of those rumors would start to come out. But uh, you know, I I haven't seen anything at all at the moment as far as any any um, graduate transfers maybe considering Fresno State. But you know, Jackson and I were always keeping an eye out. So if we do hear something. You'll probably hear about it on our premium board before anywhere else. So if you're not a premium subscriber, make sure you head over to the Bark Board and sign up for a premium subscription so that you can get our latest inside information. And uh, uh, Jackson, that's usually where we post all of our our, pre- our you know breaking news there first before we do anything else with it, right, Jackson? Oh, absolutely. I mean, some stuff will sit there for quite a bit of time before it comes out to the public and and we get some tips that aren't necessarily going to come out as full stories at the time. It, it takes sometimes weeks or months to hit the public, but uh, there are things we are at liberty to kind of share as uh, some things we're hearing uh, in that capacity. Yeah, yeah. so the, make sure if you're not a, a premium subscriber, you head over there, and, and it helps support us in keeping the website going, and uh, and also you, know, you get some of the inside information before anyone else does. Typically... We have that information even before the local newspapers and local news outlets even get them. So, uh, you know, if you want some of the inside information, make sure you get that over at thebarkboard.com. Now, one of another question, uh, Jackson, was, you know, we touched upon it a little bit earlier. Uh, Josh Hokett uh, left that running back. One, one, uh, one of our listeners wants to know why was he left at running back? Is there, is there a real big need for him at running back? Uh, for him to be just left uh, at that position? Well, in my mind, I think because Jeff Tedford was at those last two games where Hokett was playing running back that he liked what he saw. And that I think that's a, a simply put, as you can put it. Um, other than that, either they don't think he's a fit a linebacker in the scheme because they do have some bodies at running back, and but I think they like what they see out of him. I think the other thing that probably hasn't been mentioned a whole lot is that they are going to have some use of the fullback of H back and uh, Hokin is a guy that can do that. He, he could definitely lay down a nasty block and, and lead the way for a running back behind him. <laughs> yes, he can. And the, the the program hasn't recruited anyone like that to fill that spot. Of course, for the last few years, that wasn't a need in the spread offense. So that'll be a, another utility they can use him at. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it kind of surprised me a little bit that they left him there, and then again, it doesn't surprise me. Um, there's a num- been a number of practices where I've head out to and I've watched Hokit play at, at linebacker, and um, he kind of kind of forgets that he's not supposed to hit people, and he's popped a few players here and there. Um, and it's kind of turned heads uh, throughout the whole football program last season. So uh, for them to leave him at running back, I, I, I agree with you, Jackson. I suspect that maybe they're going to be using him more not as a running back per se, but more as a blocking fullback in order to open up those holes for the running backs to kind of try to see if they can get more lanes and more room for the running backs to operate. And I think that's the direction that they're probably trying to head with Hokit. Um, but um, one of our one of our longtime uh, bark boarders, Steve Burns, wanted to know if uh, Coach Jeff Tedford had spoken to you of the qualities he most desires in the quarterback position, uh, and further, does he think any of the quarterbacks, uh, any of our, the quarterbacks on the roster, have those qualities? So, what do you think about this, Jackson? Uh, has he talked to you about what he is looking for in a quarterback, and if so, does anybody match those qualities? You know, when uh, Coach Tedford was addressing the media as a whole, I mean, he's only done it two or three times. And I distinctly remember someone asked him that, that question, and Tedford answered it pretty promptly. As I mean, he said, you know, one this, two that, three that. And uh, I can't remember exactly, so I don't want to misrepresent him. Maybe we can find that audio and, and insert it right here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Uh, I do know that he that was kind of the follow up question too. Does he have any quarterbacks with those qualities? And he said he doesn't know, of course, without seeing them. Um, 
I think that uh, Jorge Reyna, though, they obviously went out and targeted a junior college quarterback for a reason. And I think on paper, Reyna marks all the boxes that they're looking for in a guy that can step in and start right away or else they wouldn't have gotten him. But uh, I think you can say that about some other quarterbacks in the past couple of years, too, whether it be graduate transfers like Brandon Kinnett or junior college guys like uh, Brian Burrell. That you, they checked all the boxes and they, they got in there and fans wanted to see the next guy right away. So we'll see in spring if Reyna fits uh, – the qualities that Tedford is looking for, or if uh, they kind of have the carousel going again. Yeah, I mean the thing thing about the quarterback position. I mean, we're both we both agree that that right now is probably the one of the most fluid positions, other than running back, as to what is going to happen at that position. Um, only only time will tell. Once we get out to these practices and kind of start seeing the quarterbacks, you know, move around and do some of the things they do. Maybe then we'll be able to kind of get a clear favorite of who is the clear favorite to to head in and start as the the starter this upcoming season. But until we actually get to see all of them moving around, uh, there's really not going to be much we can say about it because you know this is a whole new coaching staff. What we may think is the the obvious starter may be totally different with this coaching staff, right, Jackson? I mean, because we don't know who they're thinking on, uh, what type of quarterback they're going to want, if they're going to need a mobile quarterback or more of a pocket passer. Only time will tell, and only the coaches know what's going to happen there, right? Yeah, and it will be better when we get a chance not only to see the quarterbacks and drills and stuff, but when they do open up for their two scrimmages or at least two of their practices are going to have that are open just to see what the offensive scheme in general looks like and, and see how those guys look in there and whether some of Virgil's uh, abilities that have kind of been, you've been looking at as potentials to be big time playmaking and that spread offense, whether they're going to translate to what coach Tedford wants to do or not. Now we did see a lot of uh, incoming um, late. What was it the the junior class? Not the junior class, but the JUCO class signings that came in this past season. There was a, a quite a few of them. Do you see a lot of these guys actually coming in and filling some of those spots on offense and defense right away in order to to kind of get things changed around quickly? I think most of them. I think they went out and got the, the mid-year signings, and then there's going to be another group that comes out in the fall. But there's a lot of scholarships for them to, to use and get immediate help, and I don't think they would have targeted those guys if they didn't think there was a good chance they could compete right away. Uh, just kind of going down the list, um, Jorge Reyna, as we've mentioned, uh, he's going to compete for the starting job at quarterback. Uh Gunnar Javernick, a tight end. Uh, he's a guy that is 6'7", 245, and I think they're going to find a role for him regardless of uh, the rest of the competition at the position. Uh, Emeka Endo, as we mentioned earlier, he's going to come in the fall and uh, another option as an edge rusher. Uh, Sherman Coleman and Matthew Botang are both going to be in this spring at cornerback, and that's probably probably the one position I watch out for the most as far as I mean, there's just too many bodies for all these junior college cornerbacks to all be starting or being immediate guys. So Definitely. you look at those two, and uh, you'll have Earl Chambers, who joins in as the fall, uh, Adam Merced. Uh, I'd expect to see one or two of those three guys probably getting the starting job or, or at least being in that too deep. Um, maybe missing a few others, but uh, I think there's a lot of options they brought in as immediate guys that, that are – not true freshmen. They're going to be juniors, and they're going to be physically ready to to compete right away. Oh yeah, I, I I definitely see a lot of those guys, especially that cornerback position. Like you said, there's a lot of bodies for the cornerback position, um, and for the DBs. Do you foresee some of them maybe, uh, you know, maybe switching to a safety position or uh, or something like that in order to kind of get them on the field sooner rather than later? I think it's possible. Uh, I mean, Earl Chambers probably would be that safety uh, out of the group. Um, you look at Chris Coleman, uh, who's going to come in, and they could do some different things with him. But as far as the junior college guys, uh, Sherman Coleman, the other Coleman, he, he's uh, probably going to be corner. He's got his biggest asset is his speed. So I, I imagine they want to keep him at cornerback. And Matthew Boateng, again, is a real lengthy guy. They, he, Tedford likes what both of those two guys can do in man coverage. So I'd expect to see them at corner. And uh, while we're on the topic of junior college guys, um, 
The one name I believe I missed was Darion Grimm. And when you look at that whole junior college class, I think they all have a chance to come in and earn playing time. But when you think of guys that are going to be real difference makers and put up big numbers, I think Grimm's the guy. He's got similar credentials that Josiah Blandon brought in a few years back, and he came in. And even though the offense was struggling, he he, I believe he led the team in touchdowns. It wasn't a whole lot. Yeah. um, He was just a, a big addition right off the bat as a junior college guy and Grimm is a different body. He describes himself as an, uh, Antonio Brown-like from the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's only six feet tall, but kind of does it all. Uh, he played at Nebraska previously. He was committed to Washington State. This is probably the most legitimate guy out of the whole class as far as uh, Power 5 talent and a guy that can play right away. Yeah, so, I mean, there's there's plenty to kind of look out for. Now, uh Everybody's been kind of wondering what kind of a season you know the Bulldogs are going to be having, but uh, Tepford even said it uh, when we saw him over at the uh, what was that the at the elbow room when people were mentioning were asking him questions. He mentioned he's he's not uh, he's not the type of uh, person who likes to wait for things to kind of turn around. He wants things to turn around as fast as possible. So. Uh, you know he's bringing in these bodies for a reason uh a lot of these juco players are are here to kind of fill the void in order to try to get the program turned around quickly versus you know sooner rather than later so uh i i expect to see a lot of these guys really competing for for a position and uh well jackson you know the bulldogs ended one what was it one on 11 uh, you right. know do you see much more of an Im- improvement this upcoming season other than one and 11 <laughs> yeah i mean someone asked coach ted for that and he said he doesn't like to get into numbers and wins and losses but hopes that's certainly a, <laughs> a one that they'll cross this year um and again you look at the roster they're bringing back and the guys we're going to see in the spring and there's not a whole lot of guys that are planted as starters. Uh, of course, in a 1-11 season, they went through a lot of players at a lot of different positions, and there's not a whole lot of solid uh, starters or anything like that. So another case for these incoming players that are actually going to be Tedford's guys and the staff's guys to get in there and, and compete right away. But regardless of the group, the, the 22 or so they put out there to, to start out with, uh, i got to imagine they're going to surpass the one win. Um you look at the schedule and you count about five or six games that are going to be really tough. Of course, Alabama and Washington, and then you throw in Boise State, San Diego State, BYU, um, let's say Wyoming. I mean, there's at least six games that are going to be – they're not ones you would pencil in as wins if you're being realistic. Maybe they steal one of them, but then you have another group of opponents where some of them are in similar situations as Fresno State going in transitions like a Nevada and a San Jose state and maybe coin flip kind of games. I mean, they're going to, they may be going through transitions as well, but they're going to start off with some better talent probably that they're inheriting from their previous coaches. Uh, They're both, neither one of those two programs (laughs) were as in dire positions as Fresno state, but both felt they needed to make a change as well before they got there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that, that begs the question Jackson going out on a limb. What, what, what do you, what's your projection on a, on a, a record here for this upcoming season? Yeah. My, my projection would probably be about four or five wins. And I think that's probably being a little optimistic. <laughs> um, you want the goal to be six because I think that is possible. A lot of things are going to have to go right, but they could hit six and get that bowl game. And uh, I think that would do a lot for the momentum of this program. Uh, it is tough because, again, I think there's a lot of parallels with where the program is to where Hawaii was last year. And they, like Fresno State, went out and got a coach that has the ties to the program and uh, saying a lot of the same things about the islands that Tedford's saying about the Central Valley. But Hawaii was able to, to swing that 13th game, and they would have been 5-7 and seven this past year. And I think... Uh, it's kind of you're not satisfied at five and seven, but I guess if, if you're a a guy that or a fan that keeps track of the program, you know that's progress. But they had that 13th game, which got them to six wins, which allowed them to go to a bowl game because there's so many of them, and they finished seven and seven. So it's going to be tough for Fresno State. They don't have that extra flex of a 13th game, but um, I think if they get to five and seven, if you watch the team and you're familiar with what's going on, you've got to be pretty happy about that. 
Oh, definitely. And and I think what's going to be key for the Bulldogs this upcoming season is trying to keep um, the scores uh, close until the fourth quarter where they might have a chance to maybe pull off, uh, pull off an upset here and there uh, and surprise some teams and pick up a, uh, still a win or two. Um, which will allow them to finish, you know, over five, better than five and seven, maybe. That's just something we're going to have to see what kind of, you know, just what kind of uh, emotion, what kind of character these players are going to put into these games and 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 be able to kind of just hang on. If they can just hold on until the fourth quarter, I think they might have a chance of winning more games than people think. Um, but, you know... Recruiting-wise, I mean, Fresno State has changed their gears completely from what the uh, uh, coach, uh, what was it, Coach DeRuder used to do and his coaching staff. They've completely changed the mindset of what the Bulldogs want to do, especially here in the Valley in the state of California. Do you see them heading in the right direction as far as recruiting-wise? I mean, they cleaned house with all the recruits that uh, that. DeRuder was was able to get committed to the program. I, I believe they only ended up with one of those recruits. Uh, do, do you think they're they're headed in the right direction with what they're trying to accomplish here under Coach Tedford? I mean, yeah, that's right. I mean, DeRuder when he was let go, it was kind of an unprecedented number of recruits that Fresno State had committed. They had, I believe, eleven. I want to say at the time. Yeah. And uh, in DeRuder's past years, and especially in the Pat Hill years that later on. Uh, you'd see a couple names pop up throughout the season as commits, and then that December to February signing day period was when you saw the whole class rack up. And um, so, for them to identify all those commits that were in the previous class and to decide to go in a different direction, there were a few others that they were still interested in, but ultimately went elsewhere. But Patrick June's the one that they kept, a three-star receiver uh, who they really like as well. Um, you look, I mean, this class, of course, uh, just in the small, short amount of time they had, Tedford was hired in November, but the whole staff didn't really come together until about January when that dead period ended. And they put together a, a class that ranks better than what DeRuder's staff had done in the previous years <laughs> with their success. I mean, yeah. Uh, you have to imagine it's tough to recruit players into a, a 1 in 11 situation, but. You do hear guys that say, oh, that's my opportunity for playing time right away. So it does work both ways. But I think the, just the sheer amount of three-star recruits and uh, the guys that you see in this class are, are reasons for optimism going forward. I think it sets the bar. I think they, with the full 12 months, they should put up even better recruiting numbers going forward. And uh, another thing Coach Tedford mentioned that you really get excited about was that not only are they recruiting the Valley – uh, they've got a piece of the valley dedicated to to each of the coaches on the staff. It's not just one Central Valley assistant that's going to handle that, like what they did with Coach Germano in the previous years, who was not received very well by many play- people in the valley. From what has been relayed to us, they're going to have. Uh, we don't know these for sure, but just as examples or hypotheticals, you got say J.D. Williams is in Fresno, and uh, you've got Kalen DeBoer is doing. Bakersfield and Kirby Moores and Stockton. I mean, they're going to have all the coaching staff have a piece of the Valley as well as their part, whether it's uh, Inland Empire or Bay Area. So they're going to be doing double duty and make sure they give each part of the Valley the respect that they think Fresno State should be giving them. Oh, and definitely. And and we can already see a change in philosophy as far as, uh, you know, what Fresno State is trying to accomplish, because uh, during DeRuder, it was more like Texas heavy uh, recruiting. And we already see it kind of flip back already back to California heavy recruiting. Um, I just went through this morning and, and updated uh, our offer sheet that we have going. And it looks like right now, um, Fresno State has about 49 offers out um, right now in uh, in total. Um, majority of those are in the state of California. There's one in Florida. There's uh, two or three in Utah. Um, a couple in Hawaii. Uh, one in Georgia. One in Washington. One in Nevada. A couple in Arizona. Uh, two or three in Arizona. So you know they're they're really focusing more on California. 
but they're still not afraid to kind of go outside of the area to kind of pick up some of those recruits. And so they're they're recruiting there and there's offers out. How many of those, you know, really are, are realistic offers and how many of those do you think are just kind of just to get the Bulldog name out there? I mean, I know there's a lot of four and five star there's a few four and five star recruits that they've made offers to, but do you realistically see any of those possibly uh, trying to to come over to Fresno State? Well, I think especially when you look at the Hawaii recruits, and I mean, any of the Polynesian recruits, really, that was Coach Tony Tuioti, who was already departed and gone to Cal, and he was really the the one guy on the staff that had that kind of connection to the Polynesian community. So I would kind of cross them probably off as far as fresno state's chances even the 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 five and four star guys that were limited as they were already but that was kind of to to get the name out there and and build those connections further with the program uh when coach tedford was discussing this previous class about some of the there's a few names from out of state you've got louisiana and texas and a few states on the class for this year and he said all of those recruits were basically all from previous relationships from the staff they have now that were familiar with those guys previous to coming to Fresno State and, and that kept those ties. So there may be some carryover from 2018 as well when you look at those previous relationships. But I think the majority of the work is going to be in California. Um, even when Coach Hill preached Pride of the Valley, they still managed to nab a few standouts out of Arizona and Washington or whatnot every once in a while. So uh, as far as the commits, uh, it'll probably be a while before things get going for 2018, but you can get a sense of where they're going, and I think it's going to be based in California for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really uh, you know California-heavy, and, and you can tell by their focus of what they're trying to do that majority of that's going to be in the state of California, although they're not shy about going to, like, Nevada and going to, like, Bishop Gorman, where that's a powerhouse in itself, and they're they're trying to to try to get their name in there over at the at that high school. They might not land anybody over there this year, but the, the I think the whole idea is to try to make sure that they are aware of the Bulldogs, and so they're going to be doing that in some of these powerhouse high schools just to try to to kind of change the the whole outlook of recruits to 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 try and come over to Fresno State. So, and you never know; they might entice a, a few here and there with playing time. I mean. Really, I mean, you you got a, a ton of offers, but um, to like Alabama and and stuff like that. And realistically, do you think that you're going to really play right away? I don't think so. And those type of programs, so the Bulldogs might have a chance in certain areas more than people think. They just they're just going to continue to do what they're doing in order to kind of get the name out there. Um, but other than that, Jackson, I think we we pretty much covered football. Uh, the best we can before spring. Do you have anything else on football uh, that you wanted to, to kind of mention? Um, yeah, just looking through the list of questions, making sure we got everything. I know there was a question about the training table, and there hasn't been a whole lot of that publicly said recently. Um, the only other thing I think was uh, other position changes. We had a write-up recently of all the different position changes going into spring, and those are the ones we know of. There may be a couple more that happened. I, I did hear Tomina Okiki is going to be – he was that 3-4 outside linebacker for Druders and Toast scheme. I think he's going to be a defensive end for what Fresno State's going to do going forward. So that's probably the, the one other one we can note at this point. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, football-wise, that's – that we pretty much covered just about everything – do you want to kind of sneak in a little bit of basketball if you have any uh, anything going on with basketball of, of maybe any signings or, or any offers or anything going on with basketball for the, the basketball faithful that we have out there? Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, they just landed a commit earlier this week. Um, Miles Fitzgerald Warren, he is a, kind of an under-the-radar guy, which is what not one you hear much with Coach Terry's uh, recruiting <laughs> over the past few years. Uh, he seems to get guys that are have quite a few stars next to their name or some impressive offers and uh digging into Fitzgerald Warren's situation you kind of understand why he he was sidelined for his sophomore and junior years with injuries he had stress fractures in his foot and his parents took him to get an MRI and said he had a, a conjunction in in his calcaneus they had to shave down that heel bone for his foot to be 
<laughs> properly able to play basketball and he bounced back a senior year and had a big year and he started to get some recruiting buzz but fresno state was the first one to, to jump on him and give him the offer and he visited uh, about a week ago and uh, was really liked what he saw from coach terry and the direction of the program and committed shortly afterwards so that's the one piece for sure that'll be that you look at in the 2017 class for basketball they did add two mid-year transfers. If you missed it, they added New Williams from Auburn, uh, who's originally from California area. And he's a point guard guy that will be eligible at the mid-year of next season. And they also added Marcus Cooper, who signed to Southern Miss. Didn't look like that panned out. So uh, he'll be coming to Fresno State. He was a, a junior college signee for Southern Miss, so he's only got a couple years left. But another guy they'll have available for this class that aren't technically – members of the signing class and they should have enough scholarships to add one or two more guys uh, i know it seems routine for this basketball program that one or two guys uh, kind of get nudged out at the end of the year or are pointed in the right direction as far as playing time uh, a guy like um, i mean torn jones even last year was, wasn't working out here and i think they were able to find a good fit for him uh, so i imagine to see one or two more commits added to this class uh Verhoeven as uh, a recruit that the Bulldogs are looking at, who is the cousin, Titus Verhoeven. He's the cousin of the great Pete Verhoeven, who played here decades ago. And uh, he is kind of uh, waiting until May to decide what he's going to do. He, he's looking at taking his visits right now, but he did take one to Fresno State prior to the year, and the Bulldogs are going to stay heavy as an option for him. But uh, it's still pretty up in the air as far as what he's going to do. Um, and that would be the other piece I think that you need. He, he's a six-eight athletic guy. He, he'd probably plug in as a wing at Fresno State, uh, the Paul Watson replacement. And I think between him and then you had a Fitzgerald Warren who could be your point guard. Um, probably wouldn't take over full duties as a freshman by any means, but that was one thing Fresno State kind of lacked this past year with uh, William McDowell White not ever coming in. Uh, the kind of uh, had Jerron Hopkins and Deshaun Taylor fill in, but both of those guys are probably more combo guards. So to have a, a fluid point guard that can come in and distribute the ball and get the offense flowing a little better might help gel all the talent that's coming back. Now, the Bulldogs didn't really finish off the season like everybody wanted them to. Um, with the players that are leaving and the players that are coming back and the incoming players, you see possibly a, a, a good season even better season than what the Bulldogs did this past season oh yeah I think you got to expect another 20 win year um, I mean they lose three seniors from this year but Caracciato wasn't really around much this year he was ineligible for the first half and injured for the the final stretch so they didn't have him for most of their successes this year uh, Colin Russo was suspended several times and never really saw his full potential as a senior and you lose uh, a steady guy in Paul Watson, but I think you'd still, even as a senior, think of him more as a role player than one of the uh, the key guys on the team. So they bring back the majority of, of their pieces next year. They had a, basically a whole squad of uh, young freshmen or redshirt freshmen that are going to be able to be role players next year. And uh, I think you add in those mid-year guys that we mentioned earlier and the freshmen that are going to come in and possibly a graduate transfer uh, there's a name that's kind of floating around Roshan Prince out of Long Beach State who could be a guy that could I mean he's got connections to a lot of the same recruiting areas that coach Terry has gone to so maybe he's the guy they plug in and uh, they're going to have more than enough talent to get it done next year have the 20 wins to compete for a conference championship again and uh, possibly get that NCAA bid or, or maybe go back to the NIT if it doesn't work out. Yeah, so it it seems like uh, you know Coach Terry's got things going in the right direction as far as the basketball program is concerned, and um, you know if they, if they're able to get some of those pieces that they're looking for, I, I think it it's going to be a good a good year for the Bulldogs as far as basketball is concerned. Um, I know the the women are year in and year out compete uh, for for a Mountain West championship every single year. It seems like. Um, and hopefully the men's basketball team will get to that point. 
um, here, you know, year in and year out competing for that uh, for that championship. So it looks like things are rolling in the right direction um, for the basketball program. Um, other than that, Jackson, do you have any other stories or anything coming through the pipeline that you kind of want to mention here on the show? Uh, well, we'll have uh, the full interview with Alex Cruz, who we mentioned earlier. He's the the late signee for the football class. Uh, talked to him a, a couple days ago, and we'll have all that feature coming out shortly. And then we jump right into spring ball, and we'll be out there as much as we can at practices, uh, what we're allowed to be out there for, uh, photos, videos, interviews. Uh, we're going to try to hit the coverage from as many angles as possible and, and relay all that back to BarkBoard.com. Yeah, so you know, just stay tuned with that. Uh, Jackson and I, we're going to be trying to hit as many of these practices as we can. Try to get, try to get the interviews and and highlights and and whatever. So if there's anything out there that you guys want us to kind of report on, let us know. Uh, either um, send us a message on uh, on Facebook, Facebook, or or leave us a message on thebarkboard.com on our forums uh, of certain type of coverage that you would like for us to do. Uh, so that we can try and, and get that for you. Um, but, you know, other than that, if you're not a premium subscriber for thebarkboard.com, make sure you head over to the Barkboard uh, and get in there And uh, while you still can. Uh, every now and then we do run specials, so if you can't af- really afford it right now, uh, there might be a special coming through the pipeline sooner rather than later, right, Jackson, as things start getting closer to season? Yeah, I mean, we, we try to sprinkle those in once in a while, but... Uh, they do come up pretty shortly. We only run them for about a day at most. So if you miss it, it's tough. So, um, and it's more of a kind of a way to get your first look into the Barkboard premium and, and, uh, you get that one shot at the, the flash sale and hopefully you like what you see and, and become a regular subscriber. Yeah. So, uh, that being said, uh, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show for today. So, uh, if, for those of you who want to reach uh, Jackson and I, uh, you can do so. Uh, you can reach me at Red Wave Report on Twitter, uh, or you can reach Jackson at Jackson M underscore Scout. Uh, also, uh, don't forget about our other uh, counterpart on the show as well, Lorenzo Reyna, and you can reach him at LJ underscore Reyna. Uh, on Twitter. Now, if you want to send the show some emails, uh, ask us some questions and stuff, you can do so by emailing the Red Wave Report at gmail.com. Red Wave Report at gmail.com. Um, other than that, make sure you head over to our Facebook page as well. The Barkboard.com has a Facebook page, and um, I believe we're, we're pretty close to about, what, 1,200 likes right now on our Facebook page? So, oh, we're at 2,200 likes. Oh, 2,200. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm cutting this a little short there. Um, but we're trying to get that thing up to at least about 2,500 before the season starts. So if you haven't done so already, head over to our Facebook page and give it a like. Um, and that being said, Jackson, any final thoughts? Just ready to get spring ball rolling and see what these guys have to, to offer for the new schemes. All right. So again, I want to thank everyone for listening. Join us again back again next time as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State Athletics. So until then, enjoy your weekend and we'll catch you next time.